You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. This morning, and ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're turning there, Hebrews chapter 11, one of the ways that uh, God touches us with His goodness is often through uh, our mothers, and uh, maybe biologically adoptive, maybe some surrogate um, lady that God has used in our lives to influence us. And want to just say thank you today. Uh, we were joking in our uh, men's uh, small group today, our Sunday discipleship group, that uh, on Father's Day we preach at the men, you know, you bunch of bums. And I said, I don't know why we're always so nice to ladies today, I'm just going to preach at the ladies. And they're like, I'm like, yeah, right, I'm not going to do that. I am at times a bit uh, foolish, but not that foolish, so good to see you today. In fact, you ladies are so amazing, would you stop being so amazing? That's the, that's the thrust of our study today. And, uh, but, uh, appreciate you being here today and our ladies. And I just want to say this, uh, I was thankful for the songs that we sang today, um, that to emphasize the goodness of God and the love of God. And I just want to be clear, God, uh, has portrayed himself as a father and uh, we're not in any way trying to, uh, emasculate or to take away from God that pronoun, but I do think there's a tender side to our God that he has uniquely expressed through the feminine uh, profile and uh, touch and feel. And aren't you grateful for that? Uh, many times the hugs and the, the kisses and the tears and tender embrace, as well as maybe the, listen, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. All of those, all of those vibes, God gives us that, doesn't he, in a unique way? And I'm grateful for that. And I was just thankful this morning, I text my mom, I'll call her later today. Mom, I probably won't get choked up on the live stream like Brother Josh, I just can't live up to that. But uh, the uh, text my mom sworn just said, I'm glad I can still text you, and I will call you later, but I'm glad I still have that. Many of you don't have that relationship with the Lord, or with your mom uh, in the Lord right now. But can I just tell you, someday we sung about the rapture. Um, that'll probably be one of the first reunions many of us will have, is, is finding mama and making sure that we have that connection if she's in Christ. And just grateful for God's goodness today. Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we have... Uh, in our text today, two ladies we're going to spend a few minutes studying on today, and I'm excited to be a part of the service. Appreciate you praying for us last week as we were gone, and appreciate you sharing your pastor and our family with other churches. And just one word of note, uh, we had a man who came, he's a co-worker of one of the members of the Church of Mansfield we ministered at, that uh, is seeking God and seeking answers for things, some things that he's struggling with. And so I have an appointment with him next Tuesday, a week from Tuesday. So that's what it's all about, is not just our church, what we do here, but what we do out of here. And I appreciate you partnering with our family and this new endeavors. We're gone about once a month doing these wellness weekends. And I continue to pray that God will bless that. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at verse 11 as well as verse 31 together. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah... So it talks about Abraham. We'll study about him later in our series. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Go down to verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies 
with peace. And so we're looking at today as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, looking at an epic life, the life of significance uh, for any person willing to trust God, and looking at today two ladies, one named Sarah and one named Rahab. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the sweet spirit in this room and in our church. Thank you for, um, Lord, not just something that we hoard, but something that we share and, and welcome at any and at drop of a hat, at, at any moment's notice, someone new to our midst, that you lead our way, who's seeking you or returning to you or just growing in their relationship with you. I pray that we would always be that kind of place. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for our ladies, each, whatever their heartaches and, and blessings they have in their family and in their life today. Thank you for what they do and the impact they have. I pray, Father, as we look at two uh, mothers, two ladies, Lord, in Scripture that you chose to include in your hall of faith, that we could glean from them truths that transfer not just to the ladies in the room, but to each of us, that we would be um, reminded of the significance of any individual, including our ladies, who are willing to trust you in their day and in their family and in their situation. Bless the study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I saw a little video clip. I debated about whether showing it, but I'll just describe it today. I saw a little video clip of a lady, younger mom. I'm not going to show the video. Just listen to the, the narrative here, narrator. Um, the uh, lady walks into her front door. So probably the guy who was up to this is the one recording it. She walks in the door and she looks down and at her feet is a trail of rose petals like kind of meandering through the living room. And so he's videoing it. She's following it. And she turns the corner. I don't know what she expected to be at the end of this trail of rose petals, but I assure you it wasn't what she saw. So she turns the corner. She's smiling. Oh, this is so sweet. And then as she turns the corner, the rose petals lead to a sink full of dirty dishes. <laughs> and... And the lady, like the guy's off to her right, she puts her hands on her hips and turns. That's the last video that guy ever shot, I guarantee. <laughs> In fact, he's no longer with us, okay? Um, it, it's funny to me how often, as it relates to you ladies, and obviously dirty dishes are not just for the ladies in the room, they're for all of us, but it's funny to me how in culture and in history especially, you ladies at times have been on the brunt end of what has been a, di a dismissive uh, outlook of some, if not all, of your responsibilities. And one of the things I love about Christianity, despite its critics, no one reveres or values the significance of what you ladies uniquely bring to the table, literally sometimes and otherwise, that makes an impact not just in the moment, but for eternity. And we're going to read today about two ladies, Sarah and Rahab. The only other ladies mentioned in the story is in Hebrews 11 is Pharaoh's daughter, it's just briefly mentioned. And then ladies who receive their dead back to life, it mentions them just generically. We'll study that at the end of our series. But these are the only two ladies who really are prominently featured that probably in their day were overlooked, not just by uh, the world at large, but even often by their own families. And yet God used them in a very significant way. In fact, significant enough that he leaves out so many others. Aren't you struck by that? Who God does put in Hebrews 11, but also who he leaves out. And as he's listing, I don't know if God had 12 or 13 or however many are here. I haven't added this up recently. He chose to leave two out to include these two ladies. And he did so for a very intentional and, and purposeful mission. 
And so that's our job and our task today is to try to process what these ladies mean uh, to the Lord. Uh, And so the question today is this, in a day where many diminish the God-given roles and responsibilities of womanhood and of ladies and of each of us as we lead for the Lord, how do we, in contrast, grow to appreciate and even be motivated by their epic contribution? So let's talk about today two relational blessings that God gives not just to ladies but to all of us if we will choose to walk by faith. The first one is this. We see in reference to Sarah, number one, God gives to her a rejuvenated ability, the ability uh, that God rejuvenates in her heart and in her body for his glory and honor. Now, if I ask you this question today, when you think of those who right now are the high-impact contributors of our world and of our culture, Very few, if any of us, would go in our minds to those who are senior citizens, um, those who are advanced in years. In fact, uh, young is uh, often viewed as the greatest asset, and in our day, often those who are aging are diminished or marginalized. In fact, most of those who age in the way that we all even ideally picture in our minds are puttering around on golf carts this morning, retired on some beach somewhere, or worst case scenario, Uh, We're waiting for them to die. We're even maybe in some parts of our culture even pushing or trying to advance that or progress that. They're no longer of value or of any significance. And may I say to you today, nothing is more antithetical to not just the principles of God's word, but the examples of God's word. Most of those that God used maybe had a fruitful season early on in life, but much of them also had a very uh, vibrant, high-impact kind of leadership and impact in their twilight years or their senior years. And so we see that in the case of this dear lady, Sarah. So let's talk about a couple things we can learn from Sarah that I think will be a help not just to our ladies, but to all of us this morning. Number one, there in your notes, jot this down. May we choose to be one who depends upon strength from God. So how do we let God rejuvenate ability as we age and process through life and now our body isn't able to do what it once was, or at least we feel it can't, or our mind or some other uh, resource we used to have? How do we let God rejuvenate our abilities? Number one, be one who depends upon strength from God. Look there in verse 11. It says, through faith also, Sarah herself, not just Abraham, Sarah herself received strength. Be one who depends upon strength from God. Um, If you would force me to choose a coffee that is my preference, if I don't brew it at home, it probably would be Dunkin' Coffee. We've talked about this, you bunch of liberal Starbucks people out there, okay? High rollers with your, uh, sure, I'll pay 10 bucks for a a little morsel, a morsel of coffee, Uh, whatever. You do you, okay? I like Dunkin'. The other day I saw on their Twitter uh, social media feed, they're known for America runs on Duncan. You see they have that little logo there. It, they posted this just a week or two ago, quote, the cheapest method of transportation right now, probably with gas prices was their reference. The cheapest method of transportation right now is chugging a coffee and just running everywhere. That's the <laughs> cheapest way to get from point A to point B. Have you noticed that as we move through life, it takes outside stimulants, it takes outside resources to even help us get where we were maybe a year or five or ten ago? And so what are we looking to, to renew or to give to us a fresh source of strength? Now here in verse uh, number 11, you notice that through faith Sarah received strength. 
Go down to the end of the verse. We'll get to it in a moment. It says she was past age. What age? The age of naturally, normally, being able to reproduce or to have a child to conceive. And may I just say today, every child that each of us as parents represent takes God involved, doesn't it? Not just when we're elderly, but the most normal, almost assumed it just naturally happened, womb that is occupied by a baby, which right now is in the public discourse uh, largely with abortion and other things being reevaluated, thankfully. Um, but any child in a womb, whether it's old, young, um, there are infertility challenges or not, every child is, does require the strength of God. And what happens sometimes is we, we, we know we need it when we're in a desperate situation, but do you recognize his strength is all over this room today? It's all over our lives, his fingerprints, our families. Every child is a miracle child. Um, and so I think sometimes we forget how much we need God's strength. And so as we move through life, may we look back to that source of strength uh, in these difficult seasons. All right, two things quickly under that. Notice, first of all, there is initiating strength. She first has the strength to start the pregnancy. Notice she has the strength to conceive is the word that's used there. There is an initiating strength. Sarah could not expect a child at age 90 without God's power being involved uh, on multiple fronts. In fact, not only did Sarah have physical, biological issues, uh, um, Abraham is described physically as being as good as dead. <laughs> That's a blessing to hear. Not just you're old. We don't even like to use that word. You're so old, you're as good as dead, okay? Abraham was not in a good place, and so God had to be involved in that relationship for them to conceive a child, uh, her being at the age of 90. May I just say today, I don't know that we can overestimate how much faith it took for Sarah after she heard the dialogue in the tent that we'll get to in a moment, for her to put herself out there after, had they not tried to have children year after year, and then I'm sure there's probably a good chunk of time between last trying and last being open and saying we, we would like children. She's given up, long since given up. And the faith it took to trust in God's strength uh, to enter into this in a fresh and new way. And may I just say today, our aging is largely the result of losing our initiative. Um, aging, I know we joke about it's just a state of mind, but I'm telling you, some of us have lost our drive because we've lost our dependence upon the strength of God. When's the last time, those of you a bit ahead of me, when's the last time you've tried something new? You've started something new. You've initiated something. And for all of us in the room, the strength of God, if we have it, why aren't we pioneering new things on a regular basis? New conversations and new witnessing opportunities and new mentorships and the list goes on and on and on. So Sarah was willing to start something new with God. What a, what a measure of faith for her to lean into what God had promised her. I was reading the other day, an author said this, once an organization, and I think this applies to family life as well, once an organization loses its pioneering spirit and rests on its early work, its progress stops. And I just want to ask you, has your family stopped progressing? Why is it when your family has access to all the power of God? Where, 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 where's the new project that you have as a family? Where's the new 
witnessing opportunity? Where's the new ministry? Where's the new thing that God wants to do through you, just like he did through Sarah? All right, go back to the text then, the next little phrase in verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself, at 90, picture her, received strength to conceive seed, notice this, and was delivered. Number two, not only initiating strength, completing strength. She had to finish what God had started. She had to deliver a child at almost 91 years of age. Don't go too far with that, but just picture that, if you will. <laughs> and, and the you know, Abraham in the tent getting the things together. It's time. They're not going to a hospital. I don't know what that looked like in, in these days. But for a 90, almost one-year-old, possibly even was 91 years of age, delivering what God had put within her. Um, several of you ladies have talked about how offended you have been at the doctor who have had a child after the age of 35, and they automatically, don't they, categorize your pregnancy as what? High risk. You can deliver all the healthy, robust children you want, but once you get across 35, you are high risk. What do you think they'd categorize Sarah as, okay? <laughs> you know, some elderly doctor in a tent over the hillside, and she comes in and says, I'm expecting, and he's just looking at the chart, you know, I'm just a little bit of literary license, and looks at the age, and then looks at her, and then, you got to be kidding me. Um, who would want to be involved in that? And so, 90 years of age, uh, she delivers because God has given her strength. Um, what, did, what have you started with God? What has God started in you that you've yet to get across the finish line? Well, something God wants to do to you, through you, in, in others' lives, in, in maybe this year, uh, in this summer season, that you need a strength to get it across the finish line, to complete what God has begun in you. His strength is more than sufficient. The question is, do you trust him for that? If God can create everything out of nothing, then he can take a weak or over-the-hill person like you and me, and he can do something fresh and new, something exciting that's dynamic and epic and stirring and moving in the hearts of others. I know in parenting, and we're a little bit slowly removed from this season, but I remember, especially when the boys were younger, Hyde and I, just the day-to-day -day grind of parenting with all of other life, and many of you have done other things professionally and ministerially, and, and you're trying to be a good parent in the midst of all that, and it can feel like this season's never going to end, and what we're doing, we don't seem to be making any progress. came across this the other day, and I, it's a bit of almost a tearjerker, but somebody wrote this, to the weary parent of a young child, there's coming a day where they'll climb onto your lap, uh, they'll ask for a shoulder ride, they'll call your name at night, they'll reach for your hand, and it'll be the last time. And neither of you will know it. And I love this, this description. We've been granted on an, un, uh, an unknown limited number of these, and what can sometimes feel like an interruption is actually a limited edition gift. And can I just say to you today, what you start is worth completing. I know at times it may feel like it just never is going to end. Uh, be faithful. See those moments as divine appointments. Own them. Lean into them. Sarah was going to raise Isaac. She was going to raise the next link to all that God was going to do. And she was willing to trust God enough to rely upon his strength. All right, number two. Look, if you will, now at the middle of verse 11. It goes on to say this. Through strength, she received strength. The conceived child was delivered of the child. Notice this when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Number two, be one who depends upon the promises 
from God. Be one who depends upon promises from God. So we depend upon God, first of all, as it relates to his strength. Number two, we rely upon God for his promises. The other day I was reading a a little tongue-in-cheek excerpt where second graders had been asked um, why uh, your mom married your dad. So it was a bunch of Mother's Day questions, and one of them was, why did your mom? This is, just, this is from a second grader's perspective. Why did your mom marry your dad? And there was hilarious, tons of them, but these would just be two that jumped out. Number one, this little second grader said to that question, my grandma says mom did not have her thinking cap on. <laughs> that, was, that was the reason. And then secondly, I thought this was good too, she got too old to do anything else with him. That's all that was left. She got so old, she just had to marry him, okay? Um, isn't it funny how as we move through life and as we process things year after year after year, that one of the things that loses its shine or its, 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 its appeal and its, its allure are the promises of God? Isn't it profound when we step back for a moment and think about the fact that God has made promises to people like us? He's actually committed as not just his, his word, but his character to follow through on the promises that he's given to our families. And so may we be one who depends upon promises from God. All of us are depending upon somebody's promises today. Whether it's self-dialogue, whether it's some politician's promises, I don't know who you're banking on, but can I encourage you today? The way to live an epic life is to say, God said this could happen in my life. God said he could do this through me, and I want to claim that promise. Sarah does that here. What a great model of what our relationship with the promises of God should be. And God's promises are timeless and enduring. No matter how old and decrepit and maybe deficient you may feel today, his promises are just as fresh and vibrant and he will deliver on them as ever. And so may we live with faith in that as Sarah does. All right, two things about that. Number one, notice that she believed in faithful promises. Did you notice that? She judged, notice it back in verse 11, she judged him faithful. She judged him, the God, the one who promised, faithful. She believed in promises that were faithful. Despite all that was against her, she's 90 years of age. She's tried before. They've tried to give Hagar to Abraham. They've tried all kinds of things to try to resolve this glaring issue in their family. And yet, though everything was against her, humanly speaking, she realized God was for her. And God had made a promise to her, and so she believed that uh, in the present tense. She she judged, Sarah did, the merits of the promises not based upon her ability as the recipient, but based upon the character of the giver. Often our view of God's promises is more, can 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 I receive them or can I generate them? Instead of, hold on, since when is where we're at today really determine the promises of God, their viability? It's he is faithful. He is going to deliver. And so our relationship with God's promises is undergirded by a confidence in the character of God. Um, And and one of the glaring kind of elephants in the room on a Mother's Day is what do we do with infertility? Those in the room that would long and yearn to be a mom and maybe either that ship has sailed or they've yet to experience it at this point. God says in Psalm 113 in verse 9, he maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. That verse is still in the Bible. 
God can do that. No matter what a physician says or what your family history may declare otherwise, God is faithful. And if he chooses to give that promise, he is more than able to deliver on it. Can I give you a, just a thought today? What if just a few women in this room and a few others of us sitting beside you ladies today, if we would just say, God said it, I believe it, and I want him to do that in my life. I want him to deliver on that in my family. You know, that could change not just this church and these families in the room represented. It could change our county. I want God to deliver because I know he's faithful on what he has promised. Are we willing to have the faith that we see Sarah manifesting? Now, what I love is Genesis adds a bit to the story. Would you go back there to chapter 19? I'm sorry, chapter 18 and verse 9. Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 9. Unless you think that Sarah was like some superwoman who, you know, just was able to muster up this intrinsic faith, she also struggled to believe. And I love that Genesis 18 adds this, uh, fleshes it out a bit to help us access it and to be able to relate to Sarah where maybe you and I struggle with doubts. Verse number 9. Genesis 18, 9. So we're picking up in the middle of the story. The, we have two angels here. And the third is the angel of the Lord, which is a reference in the Old Testament to a pre-incarnate appearance, either of Jesus or it is a, um, a theophany. It's an appearance of God himself. But, so you have God in the tent and two angels, and they ask this question. The they refers to those three. Where is Sarah thy wife? To Abraham. And he said, behold, in the tent. So they must have had this conversation initially outside of the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee, Abraham, according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. She lacked the physical uh, components necessary to conceive. Verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore uh, did Sarah laugh saying, shall I of a surety bear a child uh, which am old? And then this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. Number two, jot this down. We see not only the faithful promise of God to Sarah, number two, a gracious promise. It's interesting to me, you have here God coming to Sarah, giving her this promise, and what's her first response? She laughs. Hebrews 11, 11 doesn't give us that wrinkle, does it? Before she judged him faithful, she doubted. And here's what is amazing to me about this story. God, after she laughs, gives her the promise again. Aren't you thankful that God comes back to us with promises the first time we hear them? We push them away, we dismiss them. That can't happen for me. It may happen for others, but it can't happen for me. That is the grace of God and the promises of God. Where those two things intersect uh, is where often we receive the blessings and benefits of what God has provided. And so despite the doubts, Hebrews 11 summarizes her as a woman of faith. What a gracious summary of a woman who at times doubted the word of God. Now, I may just say this. There may have been a second reason for her laugh besides the doubtfulness. 
You know, also, sometimes we use laughter to deflect things that are painful for us. It may have just, I mean, this was a heart-wrenching void in her life. Um, And yet, uh, she laughs. And so it may have also been that as much as doubt. It could have been just deflecting what what was a very painful subject for this woman who had yet to have a child. I was reading the other day, a lady was talking about, this helped me to relate to ladies who every Mother's Day isn't perfect, and maybe today is that for you. There's different things that are missing or things that aren't perfect in your family and relationship, even in your own heart and mind. But this lady was talking about how hard it was, how hard it is on Mother's Day to go by the card aisle of a grocery store or to go into a Hallmark, that she said, I feel like I don't belong in that aisle. And maybe that's you today. You don't feel like you belong in that aisle, whether that's in a strange relationship with an adult child, whether that's you've never been able to have children. Maybe it's you're missing your mom today who's not with you in this life. You couldn't text her this morning as I still had the privilege to do. But whatever the thing is in your life that seems to disqualify you, whether some mistake on your part or that of another, God's grace is sufficient to deliver on his promises. Do we believe that today? And if we do, our lives can be lived out with epic implications. And so God here is gracious to a woman who doubted him by doubling down on the promise that he had given to her. And I love the question in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? By the way, that question was asked in front of a tent where literally God was the one asking the rhetorical question. Is anything too hard, not just for the Lord, but is it too hard for me? I dare you to ask that question. And what is the thing that you practically, you wouldn't say it out loud in a church setting, you don't believe God can still do? Would we be willing to open our hearts anew and afresh to a God who is gracious and more than able to deliver? Um, I ask this question, not just of our ladies, but for all of us this morning. If I would have us, if I just stopped talking and preaching, which is like a dream come true for many of you today, he just doesn't know how to stop. Um, If I would stop and say, I just want people to stand, and maybe I even said your name, would you stand and would you quote the promises of God that are gripping your heart right now? What would follow? Would you pop up and there would be a litany of things that your eyes light up and your, your heart starts pounding? Or would there be a shameful silence if your name was called? Would there be a sullen silence? I used to believe these things, but now I don't, or I never have. Are we gripped by, are we believing, are we convinced that God's promises are still relevant to our lives? And I love that it says Sarah judged him faithful, but I'm telling you, whether you judge him faithful or not, he is. He is faithful. Bank on it, count on it, live in light of it. The God who can still do what many say is impossible. Just this question, we'll move to our second point today. Where have you allowed doubt in God to hollow out your belief in his still relevant promises to you physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually? Where have you doubted? Where are you doubting instead of trusting in the Lord? All right, before we get to our second point, one last thing. Matthew, would you go there for a moment, chapter 1? We're going to do the same with Rahab at the end today. But I want to bring this into the New Testament for just a moment to show you how epically important these two gals were and are 
to the redemptive story uh, for which we are recipients and beneficiaries even this morning. Matthew 1, and if you would please look at verse number 1. So this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It'll end with Joseph and then he who is born of Mary. But look, if you will, in verse number 1, it says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then these next two words, Abraham begat Isaac. The first two names in the genealogy of Christ, listen to this, share one common denominator or connection. It's Sarah. Sarah's husband is listed first. Sarah's son through her womb, is listed second. Do we not then agree that Sarah's life was an epic life? One that still has epic implications for our redemption this morning. That's how big a deal the Sarah in Hebrews 11.11 is to God, and I would submit to you lovingly, to us this morning. Simply because she was willing to let God rejuvenate abilities that she had been tempted or even had done so, had long since given up on. All right, go back to our text now in Hebrews 11 and look, if you will, now at verse 31. And even as I was studying this week, it's almost a little bit of a whiplash talking about Sarah and now moving to, Can- to this Canaanite woman, Rahab. And, and I love how God does this, uh, the tension between and the coloring of his grace through these unique filters. Look, if you will, now verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. Number two, jot this down. Not only do we see a rejuvenated ability, number two, a redeemed reputation. A redeemed reputation. By faith, the harlot. Did those words jar you as we read them this morning? The harlot Rahab. It's interesting, Rahab is always mentioned in Scripture with those two words or some form of those words included. She never loses that. She is referred to as Rahab the harlot or the harlot Rahab. And just to be clear today, the word, Rah- or the word harlot that's found here in Hebrews 11 has the idea of a prostitute, a whore, one who yields herself to defilement for sake of gain. That's the blunt truth about who Rahab was prior to Uh, God's redemptive work uh, in her life. And what I love about Rahab is it makes the promises of God and the epic lifestyle accessible to all of us. Because here's the temptation, even with what we just read in in, um, relation to Sarah, is yes, she was old, but she's like the mother of the Jewish nation. And we almost tend to put her in a separate category. Rahab says that we don't have to be perfect or at least have a sterling background to experience the power and provision of God. Doesn't that give us hope today? It also, by the way, it destroys and blows up your excuses for not living one. That's the double-edged sword of all of God's promises. Is it, if it's accessible to all of us, whoo, that's great, but it's also, whoa, that's convicting. And so if we're not living up to what God wants us to be, Rahab says, come on, lose the excuses. God can use any and everyone willing to trust God and yield to him. All right, two things under that. Number one, be one who lives with deliverance through God. So we're looking for deliverance from our problems and challenges through God. Be one who lives with deliverance through God. 
Um, Heidi uh, today, I got to have a throw out to the mom in our house today. Heidi and my son Ian, they have this little thing about, you know who Tom Brady is? Have you heard of the guy? Um, you're sick of hearing of the guy. If you're like my wife, she would amen there if she was an amening person. Um, and my son Ian thinks he's the greatest thing ever, okay? He's the goat of, of professional football. And, uh, and so they, anytime he comes on, his name is mentioned. Now, if you realize he retired and then he unretired, I think just at least Heidi's theory would be to get a little more attention and hype, um, sell a bunch of jerseys last season because it's his last, and then buy a bunch of new ones because he's back. Okay, guys, we got, got to stay excited about this guy. And so he's always, and anyway, so if I want to get, have an interesting conversation, I just throw out Tom Brady and then just step back and watch them just have their little give and take as they dialogue over that. Um, the other day, Peyton Manning, who's another, uh, this is for the guys who've been bored the whole Mother's Day. me that little just that little jab there thanks to uh, his mama Olivia Manning can I just say today as it relates to our our lives not just ladies but for all of us if we're not careful we're in deliverance mode you ladies deliver children you deliver your children from themselves you 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 deliver people you enter in to help and sometimes our deliverance is very temporal oriented or surface oriented instead of God deliver like on an eternal level, things and people through my life. Delivering people from a destiny separate from God, leading your children to Christ. Little Jonah that was on the front row singing the opening song, he just got saved this last week. Like, I mean, that, that's, isn't that what it's about? Deliverance on that kind of a level. That takes God. And we all know that as parents, if we've seen our child trust Christ, that is a supernatural thing that only God can do. And so deliverance through uh, God, what he alone can do. Notice two things that Rahab does for her family in relation to deliverance. Number one, jot this down, it is a distinctive deliverance. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab, notice these next words, perish not with them that believed not. Do you know that, that there are things that God wants to do in deliverance through us today that only happen if first we believe God? It matters to believe God, and if you don't, it's going to also affect you in a distinctly in, inverted way. Our faith matters. Our walk of faith matters. Our ministry matters. And you ladies, trusting God or not, will make and is making a difference uh, in your family. Don't lose your faith. Don't leak out that faith that leads to this distinctive deliverance. Now, what's interesting to me is we focus on God's people coming into the promised land and just annihilating nations. But in the midst of that, and before God gets to any of that, he saves this woman's family. Isn't that amazing? He leads out the campaign of Joshua crossing the Jordan River, not with mowing down Jericho. He features prominently the deliverance of Rahab. Uh, and so our faith in God makes a difference. No matter how decrepit our culture is, listen, Jericho was a crazy place. It was a debaucherous place. And yet one lady, even who was participating in it, got delivered out of it 
because she believed in God. And so God wants to win over his enemies that way, and he does so uh, through the life of Rahab. Uh, Back in verse 28, building up to this story of Rahab, notice through faith he kept the Passover. I'm sorry, verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying or uh, deciding or supposing to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. And so those who were reading Hebrews 11 at the beginning of when it first was written, as well as for us today, it gives us hope that God can deliver us. If he delivered this Gentile outside of God's camp, he can deliver us if we will be faithful. To mother or to influence like everybody else in this present world, just to blend in, is to miss out on much of the deliverance that God wants to give in you and through you uh, for his glory and honor. All right, now let's go to the Old Testament quickly and look at what else we can learn about Rahab. Joshua 2, would you go there for a moment? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we get to Joshua. Sixth book in from the beginning of the Bible there. Look, if you will, Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 11. And there's a second component of this deliverance that we see Rahab being used to accomplish with God's help. So we're going to pick up right in the middle of the story. Joshua sends in spies. They just by happenstance, yeah, right, God was involved in it. They come and are discovered or interacting with Rahab. They're now having a conversation, she and these two spies. Verse 11, Rahab says to them, and as soon as we heard these things, what things? Things referenced back in verse 10 that we just read also in Hebrews 11, the Red Sea, the kings that were defeated. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts didn't melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. And uh, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Number two, influential deliverance. So there's distinctive deliverance. Rahab doesn't suffer or she's not killed with the others who did not believe. Number two, her deliverance influences others. In fact, we're going to get to in just a moment, Rahab saves her whole family because she's willing to trust in God. What an epic decision on her part. And we see in verse 11, doesn't almost take your breath away to envision this Canaanite woman saying this? You know how shocked those, those spies had to have been? To hear of what had happened in the hearts of not just her, and, but also the warriors of the city and everyone in the city. They, they, there's no more heart or desire to resist in them because God uh, has moved in her. Uh, verse 12, notice there's a key shift now as she's not just being self-preserving. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord since I have showed you kindness that you would also show kindness, notice this, unto my father's house. And give me a true token that you will save alive my father and my mother. Remember, everybody, including harlots, have a mama and a daddy. They have kids. They're they're, they're a real person. And my brethren, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And so she shows concern for her family's safety. Now, did Rahab want to live? Did she want her mother to live? Did she want her father and her brethren to live? Yes. But I think she also was yearning for, I think it's at least alluded to, deliverance from the gods of the Canaanites. This God can do what our gods can't do. Get us out of here. Help. We, we want out of this. The, the, and, and, and just to remind you, it's very likely that her harlotry or her prostitution 
was associated with the false religion of the city of Jericho. This wasn't just a, a human thing, a fleshly thing or a carnal thing. Uh, those two things were hybrid in this culture. She wanted out of all of it, and she's looking to God. Not just for her, but for everyone affected by it. Likely her own mother had done the same trade or was still engaged in it. Um, it was a part of their culture, and she wanted out of all that was degrading and defiling and, and desperate in their faith. She wanted faith and relationship with the one true God. And by the way, she wanted it not just for her, but for her whole family. Look in verse 18. The spies, after they process and she releases them without uh, revealing their location. Verse 18, Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, thy brother, and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house in the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And so we see this covenant and commitment that leads to the preservation of Rahab's family. Isn't it interesting, the color of the cord? Isn't that interesting? I'm not trying to read too much into it, but it's a scarlet cord. The blood of Jesus Christ, the thread all throughout Scripture, and we see this redemptive work of God already being foreshadowed in the cord that she let these spies down by. All right, what's the end of the story? Go to chapter 6 of Joshua and verse number 23. So they surround the camp, and I don't know if you have the veggie tale version in your head like I do. A bunch of veggies, you know, yelling at the walls, and they eventually come down or not, if that's a part of your formative years as it is mine. But the walls come down, and notice if you will in verse 23, the young men, Joshua 6, 23, the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father, notice this, on Mother's Day, and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And obviously there's some defilement things that have to be addressed for them to be integrated fully. But notice the all part. Do you see that? All of her family. All means all. Her faith in God had an epic implication for all her family. You may not feel like your life matters, and I may at times feel like my life matters, but it matters to all those where God delivers, right? Those that reject and mock and those that marginalize us, okay, it is what it is. But for all who get God's deliverance through our life and lips and testimony, it does make a difference. And we're going to sing and shout about it forever. That's how epic trusting in God is for our biological family, our spiritual family, are we living for that in a way that pleases the Lord? And the idea would be the mama bear. Have you ever heard that expression? Which just means you lay so cute and cuddly. And yeah, right. It's like, you mess with my kid, you're going to die. Okay, that's the, that's the vibe. Rah! That comes out. Do we have that for these kind of things? Are we willing to get involved in the messy things and the, the challenging things of, of interpersonal relationship and say, God, I want you through me to make a difference in this situation? Whatever's broken and, and marred and barriers that we've known for years and years. Where's that gleam in our eye that believes God can bring deliverance through us? By the way, God's deliverance is not something that happens by default. Much of it is, is predicated and required of us that we get engaged in it. God's not just going to deliver on his own without our participation. He's often said, if you do this and when you do this. 
Are we willing to be those who follow through on uh, owning them? Um, I heard a statement the other day, an author said this, mothers lay the foundation for future faith. This is a powerful thought. Mothers lay the foundation for future faith. A mother is the first and primary influence in a child's life. And then this statement, shaping the very soul of her child. Much of our kids' and grandkids' view of God and of His promises and His power is first formed through us. Why don't they trust God and follow God? Can I just at least challenge you to question, may not be true, are they getting it from you? And where can you model more perfectly a faith and confidence in a God who delivers? All right, number two, go back to Hebrews 11 and notice the end of verse 31. Not only does she perish not with them that believe not, there's the distinctiveness of deliverance that comes only to those who trust God. Notice the very end of the verse, when she received the spies with peace. Number two, key point today, be one who lives with loyalty toward God. Be one who lives with deliverance through God. Number two, be one who lives with loyalty to God. Um, we had a few of the Cotner kids at our house this past week. Miss Brain, don't get nervous. There's no bad. Well, you might view this. I don't know. We'll see. You may. Reg- I may regret sharing this in a moment. Anyway, we have a little dog named Mo. I've shared about him before. And Benji and Olivia were at our house. And uh, Benji has a pacifier that he loves. Probably several of them. And he happened to lose it on the floor. And our dog, before he could get it, got it in his mouth and was running around with the passy like <laughs> through the house. And before, before Heidi could get involved, uh, Benji got it back and stuck it back in. So if he has fleas in the next couple of weeks, now you know why. But he has, he has a loyalty to that, okay? Some of your kids and grandkids, maybe you as well, explains your teeth formation. You, you are a bit loyal to them as well, okay? I'm just messing with you. Um, there are things that we want, right? Things that that's mine. Are we known as people who have loyalty to God? All right, you can be for me or I can be for you or you can be against me or I can be against you, but when it comes down to it, I have loyalty to God. It trumps everything. And we see that Rahab, think about her whole world, what she knew, even though it wasn't perfect, at least she knew it. The, the king of Jericho, the, the, the warriors, everything she, and she chose to identify with God and turn her back on all of that. Some of us, the reason God's not working our life is we have divided loyalties. Well, maybe they'll be at church Sunday. Maybe they'll be faithful in some area. I don't know, whatever the specific thing is. Are we known for loyalty to God first? And everything else is at least a distant second. And so uh, it's something we need to grow in if we're going to live lives of epic proportion. Uh, You ladies are so good at keeping traditions going in our families and helping us remember all the anniversaries and holidays, and especially the ones that we forgot, right? Us guys, you perpetuate those things. Are you known as also someone who is perpetuating loyalty to God? All right, we just got into an argument, but hold on. God's word trumps all of this. We've got some tension in our family right now, but, but we need to move toward God. Is that the first move and the last move in everything in between. All right, two things and we're done. Notice, first of all, there's a receptive loyalty. She received the spies. I don't know how they communicated, to be honest with you. We could go in a ton of directions with this, but can you imagine that first conversation where they're kind of feeling her out? Is she going to turn us in? How are they communicating that? I have no idea. 
But in the midst of this dialogue, you see a loyalty. She receives these strange men, these that she had never met before and could barely probably communicate with because she received God uh, through them. And so we see her faith evidence through her works. James talks about it, that Rahab was justified by her works. Not as in her works themselves justified her, but she evidenced real faith, not dead faith, by doing something. Are we receiving God? Are we receiving what he allows and puts in our lives with loyalty to him? She is receptive where others would have viewed it in a defensive manner. She received what she could have viewed as an attack And she chose to identify with God and his people. And notice lastly in verse 31, it says she received them with peace. Lastly, a peaceful loyalty. Um, I don't know if you're into this. I don't mean this in any way, an offensive way. But it's funny to me how we get into like cliques or communities that are like passionate about something. Do you know what an Airstream is? Are you familiar with Airstream? Like a certain type of camper that looks like an aluminum tin can kind of thing. Um, that offends some of you maybe. There's a huge, supposedly a huge rally happening in downtown Worcester a week from, or two weeks from yesterday, and it's an Airstream like regional or national, maybe it's a universe-wide gathering. So if you see some aliens that weekend, let me know. But it's everybody that loves Airstreams. And they were, the posting I saw, because I don't track with this necessarily, was talking about the Airstream, that it's made of aircraft-grade aluminum. Like these things are like amazing and they're into them and whether maybe you know someone who is or you are, but they're going to all get together and uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to, I'm sure, bring the camper and talk about it and what's next and what used to be so great about them or is great about them. Passionate about things. If I were to get a bunch of ladies together, I've done enough counseling and things. I would guess if I were to ask that group of ladies, what's the number one thing that you need in your life, that you need to count, that you need to know in your life is going to be there tomorrow and the next day and 30 years from now. I assure you, one of the first words that's going to come up at some point will be the word security. That is a huge commodity, especially to you ladies. Can you imagine Rahab letting go of everything that before this moment in this little dialogue she had counted on for security? She lets go of all of that. She lets go of that. And with peace, she receives this new working of God in her life. That move of letting go and receiving uh, is a profound move on her part that will change her life and her family forever. And the same is true of us when we're willing to receive what God does in our life. Ladies, you set the emotional tone in your homes. You know you do. Are you projecting peace? Are Are you projecting love and trust toward God? when he moves in your life. All right, let's end back in Matthew 1. Would you go there for a moment? I know our time is done. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 5. Matthew chapter 1. So let's bring this into the New Testament era and all that God did through not just Sarah, but now our second heroine, if you will, of Hebrews 11. And if you would please, Hebrews or Matthew chapter 1 and verse Number five. And Salmon begat Boaz. Uh, the B O O Z would be a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Boaz. And here we have now her name, again transliterated, a bit different spelling, of whom? Rahab. Rahab, 
like Sarah, is included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In fact, she became the great, 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 whatever number it is, grandmother of Jesus. She's a part of the lineage of our Savior and of our Lord, our soon coming King. What's more epic than that? And that he did it through a gal who was previously known and still included in her moniker and her business card and label, Rahab the harlot. A reminder of the redemptive work and power of this Jesus who was to come in her day and has come in our day to do a work because he was, she was willing to trust the Lord. Heard this the other day uh, in reference to Charles Spurgeon uh, that uh, at his death, he was called the Prince of Pre- uh, Preachers. He di- when he died, 60,000 people passed uh, by his casket and 100,000 lined the funeral route from where he, the service was to his burial. But the article said this at the end, before he was the Prince of Preachers, Charles was Eliza Spurgeon's little boy. Char- she, he was Eliza Spurgeon's little boy. And I just want to remind you today, the little munchkins that were just standing here, the others that some are watching in the nursery, and whoever the, the little, maybe not so little anymore people in your life, they matter. And if they matter, then our influence in their lives matters as well. And if we'll live with faith, who knows the ripple effects, not just in the next 20 or 30 years, but forever because of the regular deposits and modeling of faith that you and I give. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.